0: what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the hedging screens podcast as always i'm your host zach cronin and i'm thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today i hope that everybody is doing well mentally physically and emotionally and we're gonna get right into it i've had this i have a sinking suspicion that today is gonna be a a short episode but as we all know i'm someone who just who loves to ramble on about certain things or just like about really anything go on a lot of tangents this that whatever but the reason I have that suspicion is because there really wasn't a lot of news that came out and I do apologize for me being sniffly I'm having a wicked allergy attack which is always fun but as I was just saying the reason I feel like today's gonna be a short episode is because there really wasn't a lot of news going on at least in regards to the NBA world I know in football the NFL preseason kicked off and that's really all that the news media cycle has been covering I've been watching a little bit of get up I've been watching a little bit of first take and just like being on the internet and shit that's really all I've been seeing are god my fucking stuffiness that's really all I've been seeing are people talking about um really just like anything and everything a big talking point for or a big storyline i guess is the Kansas City Chiefs how Patrick Mahomes and that offense is going to fare without Tyreek Hill i saw a quote from Mahomes himself he's like he was seemingly very optimistic about his revamped offense faring well and how not having Ty not having Tyreek Hill kind of allows him to operate more as a traditional quarterback where he can actually read what the defense is doing instead of just keying in on matchups I felt that was something that is going to be worth the watch because of course Tyreek Hill is arguably the best receiver in football and losing him is going to be a tremendous blow for any offense but of course they still have Travis Kelsey they have Juju Smith-Schuster who could turn out to be um, you know, who could turn out to show shades of how he was early on in his career with the Steelers. And of course, they have Patrick Mahomes, who who himself is arguably the best quarterback in football. There was also a lot of chatter around the whole situation with the San Francisco 49ers and how the you know, Jimmy G situation is gonna play out, what's going on with Trey Lance, and really all that all that is pertinent to me is what does that really mean for Debo Samuel? Because, of course, with the NFL season approaching, we have the fantasy football season approaching. And that is really why I get sucked into the NFL news cycle is so that way I can parlay all of this information into a successful fantasy football championship. I am the reigning champion for my league. Largely a little bit of luck, but of course, you know, in any type of in any type of avenue where someone is successful, there is a little bit of luck involved, but yeah, I'm just trying to you know, I'm just trying to see uh, I'm really just trying to get a feel for all of the big time players because my league we tend to draft a little bit later or we tend to draft as late as possible. I think that we're drafting the week before opening day. I think I'm fairly certain it's the week before and you know, it's good because you get all the fucking injuries out of the way. You have a clearer picture of what the, of what teams and what players are going to look like heading into the season, which I do prefer. But of course with it being so close to the season, you know, there is the chance that... I don't even know where I'm fucking going with this. Here here I go again, just rambling. But anyway, let's go ahead. Let's fucking talk about some basketball stuff. And by some basketball stuff, I mean the fucking jabate that was given to us on... I don't even remember what fucking day it was. It had to have been, like, Monday. What? I don't even know what, like, today is. My schedule is so out of whack. So this was tweeted out on Monday... And it says, in NBA executives believes Kevin Durant is more likely to retire than play for the Nets again, per Mark Stein. There's a, quote, growing expectation that KD could cause, quote, a ruckus to get the Nets to make a trade. So I saw this, and I immediately brushed it off. I'm like, there is no fucking way that Kevin, Wayne, I love to hoop Durant is going to retire after demanding a trade. Like, he may want to leave the Brooklyn Nets. But for someone to want to leave their situation so badly that they retire, I don't believe that. I didn't believe that for a second. Also, maybe, you know, because it came from Mark Stein, I was a little less inclined to believe it. But that was a red flag because I don't believe that Mark Stein's sources are as good as they used to be. I mean, with shit like this, it looks like his source is either Chris Broussard or Rick Buecher. I mean... Give me one second, I got to... I mean, with shit like this, it's like his source is... is like anyone... From Fox Sports. Like, they all have the same sources. They He cites a single NBA executive. And this is somehow parlayed into an actual report when everybody knows that it's bullshit. There's no way that Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, chronically online Kevin Durant, who knows how people feel about him and also knows more than anyone else how he feels about basketball, would not threaten to retire just because he's not getting his way with the Brooklyn Nets. Like, he had to have known that when he issued this trade request, that it was not one that was going to get done immediately. This is not an expeditious request to trade one of the best players in the NBA right now. It's going to take time. It's going to take multiple teams to figure it out. And also, just, you know, add in the fact that Brooklyn, again, does not have to make a deal. And as we know, he also reportedly issued them an ultimatum where it's like, you can either keep me or you can keep Steve Nash and Sean Marks. But I, th- I think the Sean Marks part is just kind of like hyperbole. So he knows that this is going to take time. And also, I have a strange feeling that he had a... He had an inkling about this when he signed the extension, and if that were the case, I don't think he would have signed a four-year extension. I truly believe that. I think that if Kevin Durant had known what he, what he is at least making it seem like he knows about the Nets' direction, I don't think he would have wanted to sign there long-term. I think that he feels the Brooklyn Nets right now Are trending in the wrong direction. And a large portion of that is because the coaching isn't up to par with the rest of the roster. As it stands right now, this Brooklyn Nets team that they're slated to throw out for the 22-23 season is the best one that they've had since Kevin Durant has come to Brooklyn. They have him, they have Kai, they have Ben Simmons, they have Joe Harris, Coming back, they have Patty Mills. They have Seth Curry. They signed TJ Warren, who I think is going to be a huge piece for them, especially off the bench. They still have Nick Claxton. They signed Edmund Sumner as well, who could give them some Bruce Brown-type minutes, or for my, you know, a little bit older Nets fans, some David Nwaba-type minutes. Like, objectively, this is the best team that Kevin Durant has been a part of since coming to Brooklyn. So, he's most concerned about the coaching— as am I, as are a lot of people on Nets Twitter, because it's pretty clear that Steve Nash is not cut out to be an NBA head coach at this point. And I talked about this last week. And this report caught so much fucking traction. I mean, 18,000 likes on this. 18,000. Now, I don't know if Mark Stein wrote about this or tweeted it knowing that it was going to get aggregated because I don't think I don't want to question his intentions I don't think he was doing this to just purposely spread misinformation on the internet like that's not I I feel like that's not something that older reporters do that's kind of like a millennial and a zoomer thing although older reporters do engage in it like generally the older you get the more quote-unquote journalistic integrity um you appear to have. I just think that, if anything, he's got shitty sources. But you do have to recognize that in this current climate, everything is going to get picked up. Everything is going to get syndicated. Everything is going to get aggregated, especially when we get into August, which is the slowest month of the year for basketball news. There is literally nothing going on. The only time shit ever is newsworthy is if there's like... Olympics going on or a FIBA tournament I mean folks talk about the pro-ams and they talk about the NBA players going to certain runs at like UCLA or whatever but that's not news that's just video content so tweeting out really anything at least in regards to Kevin Durant is going to cause a little bit of a tizzy and because of this Kevin Durant had to clear his (laughs) Kevin Durant had to come out and clear his name and I retweeted this so, I first saw it. Um, I saw both of these tweets: the one from Bleacher Report and the one from Kevin Durant. Like, as soon as I opened Twitter, the two times I checked Twitter or whatever, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is nice. I'm glad that Kevin Durant came and quelled these rumors." He says, "I know most people will believe unnamed sources over me, but if it's, <laughs> but if it's anyone out there that'll listen, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon." Shit is comical at this point. Now, obviously. This bothered Kevin Durant. And, of course, I could see why he would be bothered by this because it's just, like, it's so out of left field that it's just almost liable at this point. Like, you're just lying, effectively. You are spreading misinformation, whether it was voluntary or involuntary. And even Kevin Durant's like, okay, like, I let a lot of shit slide. And truth, truth be told, like, he does let a lot of shit slide when it comes to to reports, But this is just like so out of left field. And it also, again, it doesn't even make any sense if you just look at what the fuck is actually going on with the situation. The Brooklyn Nets have retooled their roster. Seemingly, everybody's going to be healthy. Of course, we have the question marks with Steve Nash, but we'll deal with that at some point. Additionally, Kevin Durant is coming off of the best season of his career where I think he would have been the NBA MVP if he never got hurt. I mean this dude averaged like 30 points on close to 50 40 90 at 32 years old or however old he is. There is nothing to indicate that he's going to retire. He is still he is still in his prime. He is still giving out buckets. He is still in a he is still a serviceable defender. He is still a reliable playmaker. He is still arguably the best player in the NBA. Why would he do that? Why would he retire? Why would he risk that? Why would he risk not further cementing his legacy as one of the all-time greats? Because already Kevin Durant, very clearly one of the 75 greatest NBA players of all time. He's probably more in like the 15 to 20 range for me. Could very clearly breach top 10, Territory. if he wins another title or two with the Brooklyn Nets. But, you know, why would he want to pass all of that up? Why would he want to waste the rest of his potential? I mean, we know he's a competitive dude. We know he loves to hoop. Why would he just forego all of that? Because the current situation in Brooklyn isn't up to his standards. And it's not like he's setting these unattainable standards. I mean... If all the reporting is true, the only thing he wants is Steve Nash to be gone and also Sean Marks, but I have to keep prefacing that by saying that I think that Sean Marks deserves to stay. And it's also come out that it wasn't Steve Na- it wasn't Kyrie and KD who were pushing for Steve Nash. It was Sean Marks. It was management. It was ownership who were coaxing Steve Nash to come out of retirement. It was Sean Marks who had a connection with Steve Nash dating back to their playing days together. It was not the connection that Steve Nash had with Kevin Durant when they were in Golden State. So Marks and Cy worked to coax Steve Nash out of retirement. And of course, they asked Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving how they felt about this. They gave them their blessing. I think that they, along with everybody else, was optimistic that Steve Nash would have been a better coach. But maybe that optimism was a little unfounded because it is very difficult to have no prior coaching experience and to right away inherit a contending team, a team that, when healthy, is looking at 50, 55, 57 wins, a team that was like almost a lock to make it out of the Eastern Conference a couple of years ago if it weren't for Giannis getting hurt. But, you know, turns out that that was not the case. It was not the case. I think Kevin Durant recognizes it. There really isn't much more that I can say about this whole situation with Steve Nash. I mean, I made a video on it last week. I think that the Steve Nash experiment is a failure. And so it goes. So it goes sometimes. Now, a very story, at least that I think is interesting, came out... Um. It came out, I think, Tuesday morning, and we're getting close to the time of the NBA schedule being released, the NBA schedule in its entirety, I should say. So at the time of this recording, the Christmas Day matchups are reportedly set. The opening day matchups are reportedly set. Shams also did tweet out several um, notable matchups, like um, the rematches between Boston and Golden State which are happening in October and I think in February as well so we're getting close to the deployment of the NBA schedule in its entirety but there was a little report that came out and it made note of the fact that the NBA will not be hosting or will not be holding games on election day and I felt that this was a relevant topic to talk about because not only do I get to talk about the sport that I love, I also get to uh, spread a little bit of propaganda. I enjoy spreading propaganda on the internet that's me personally if i had to pick between spreading misinformation and spreading propaganda i would pick propaganda 100 times out of 100 so the article reads no nba games will be played on the u.s midterm election day which takes place november 8 the league announced tuesday quote the scheduling decision came out of the nba family's focus on promoting nonpartisan civic engagement and encouraging fans to make a plan to vote during midterm Elections. All 30 teams will play November 7th, which will be be promoted as, quote, civil engagement night, according to MSNBC's Shaquille Brewster. Quote, we don't usually change the schedule for an external event, but voting and election day are unique and incredibly important to our democracy, said National Basketball Social Justice Coalition Executive Director James Cadigan. Um, During the 2020 presidential election, 23 teams used their use their home stadiums as polling and visitor centers. Um, The NBA generally doesn't schedule games on Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, or the day of the NCAA championship game, which is usually the first Monday in April. It also builds a few days off around the All-Star game in February. The league's full schedule, including nationally televised games, will be announced Wednesday. It is worth also noting that something that the NBA steers clear of doing is scheduling games on Super Bowl Sunday, or more specifically, the evening. Super Bowl Sunday this past Super Bowl Sunday they had two games I think it was that played at 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern so the NBA looks to avoid scheduling conflicts with other with other events that their viewers might be interested in watching and um, yeah that's really that's really the only time the NBA like kind of buckles and kind of takes a back seat to football and also March Madness because everyone loves March Madness. Everyone loves to watch football, which is of course why they don't play on Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is the NFL's day and Christmas was the NBA's day up until recently when the NFL announced that they're going to start having games on Christmas. But I think that this is going to be a trend going forward for the NBA. I think that the NBA, um, They do take their position as social justice activists, I guess. They do take it very seriously. And you have to commend them for their efforts, especially with a large percentage of their player base being African-American, being marginalized. Like They help put certain issues front and center. There is, however, a massive... Caveat that everybody has to acknowledge. And it is the acknowledgement that the NBA, the NBA fans, the NBA players are not going to change the system by doing shit like this. It is just something that has to be acknowledged. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do stuff like this because a lot of the times, you know, little things go a long way. You have to start, if you are trying to build something, you have to start somewhere. You got to start doing something small. And, you know, they've done other things in the past, but. When it comes to the actual engagement in democracy, that is such a systemic hurdle that has to be broached on a broader level. So, specifically, the NBA can not schedule games on election day all that they want. I think that it's a good start. I think that Election Day should be a national holiday. I think that we need to, we, as in the United States government, needs to move towards a more progressive style of democracy that's more in line with various Western European nations like France, like Germany, like the UK, countries that we surround our countries that we identify with culturally, and also some of the more progressive countries on the planet. Now voting in and of itself is effectively meaningless okay you have to keep in mind that we can vote we can have a general election a presidential election and this isn't about a presidential election but I think that the NBA will continue to do this in 2024 and 2028 and so on although this midterm election is very important as well but you have to understand that just because we go out and vote It does not mean that we live in a functional democracy. It doesn't even mean that the people that we vote for are going to land in the position that we vote them into. Of course, with the midterm elections, it's a little bit different. We directly vote for our representatives. In the case of the presidential election, it goes to the electoral college, which of course is a fucking fraudulent institution that should be abolished. But if the NBA is very serious about doing stuff like this, they also need to talk about what else goes into having a larger voter turnout, a more robust voter base and a more politically engaged population because as it stands, the United States is historically one of the has one of the worst voter turnouts of any Western nation. I think in 2016, the voter turnout was around 55%. It did improve drastically. In 2020, it went up to 67%, which is a little bit closer to countries like France and Germany, but still, that is not the trend. If 66% of the United States population were voting like every four years for decades, then it would be different like then there wouldn't be so much discussion around like improving the process of voting improving the system of voting whether it be lightening the restrictions whether it be something like making election day a federal holiday ensuring that people can actually go and vote I feel that because the NBA is incapable of making change themselves they need to bring in people who are capable of educating NBA fans who might not know about what exactly goes on behind the scenes when it comes to voting. So when it comes to voter turnout in particular, voter turnout has various factors that affect it. So let's take a country like Singapore, for example. Singapore has upwards of 90% voter turnout and that's because they have mandatory voting laws where not voting is illegal essentially i don't know the exact punishment but they're not the only country that do that does this i think belgium has a mandatory voting law i think turkey has a mandatory voting law that is not something that's going to happen here in the united states i don't i don't think that that's something that we should consider i don't think not voting should be criminalized not per, not participating in democracy shouldn't be punishable legally because we already have very archaic laws we already have very strict laws when it comes to basically doing anything and everything however the other things that impact voter turnout are things like political apathy i think that this along with scheduling conflicts is Largely responsible for why the United States historically has such shitty voter turnout. Now, political apathy is, I guess, unique to the United States because it comes as the result of our two party system, where I think it's got to be like 70 or 80% of people. I forgot what poll I saw exactly, but 70 to 80% of people feel that they don't belong to either party or i, th- I can't remember the exact poll i think it was either that or it was like 20 to 30% of people feel that they fall in line with one of the two political parties and it's because just politics in general is very nuanced or there are there are a lot of issues that require nuance and there are a lot of issues that have different applications one of them in particular is the healthcare industry. There are multiple ways that a country can give healthcare to their citizens. There are countries that employ a single payer healthcare system, like a country like Denmark, for example, where people pay taxes and all of the healthcare is covered exclusively by taxpayer dollars. It's all funded by taxpayer dollars. By, do- by taxpayer dollars, there are countries like Canada and Germany that employ kind of a mixed system where you have a public option for health insurance and then also a private option. In the United States, we technically have a public option, but it is not even close to the level of public option that other Western European nations or that other Western nations in general have, and therefore a large, a large portion of our uh, population base is insured by the predatory health insurance industry so that for example is a topic that does require a lot of nuance it requires healthy discourse to find a solid compromise but that doesn't exist in this country because neither political party wants to allow it the republican party does not want to give people health insurance the Democratic Party wants to give people a little bit of health insurance, but still they are operating at the behest of the health insurance industry and the pharmaceutical corporations. And there are really only a handful of truly leftist candidates who want a robust public health care system. People like Bernie Sanders, um, AOC, folks like that, a lot of the newer progressives as well. John Fetterman is another one. So that's a topic that requires a lot of nuance. There are other topics that require less nuanced. Like Roe versus Wade, for example. The government should not be allowed to dictate what people do with their bodies. They should not come between a woman and her medical professional that is totally off limits. And I know that in the United States, there are states that still uphold those laws. There are states that aren't. But for the most part, a lot of Western nations and a lot of nations across the world, for example, allow it. Or even if they don't allow it I I can't even say like recreational, even if they don't have it legally, they do carve out exceptions for the life of the mother, stuff like that, which certain states in the union are not doing now. So that's a topic that also doesn't really require a lot of nuance. And the two-party system is extra detrimental to this because they snuff out any meaningful conversation. And they snuff out any discourse and they alienate people because people look at these two parties and they don't feel properly represented. And why are you going to vote for somebody who doesn't properly represent your views? And even someone like me who did go out and vote in 2020. I reluctantly voted for Joe Biden because I don't like I would just rather not vote for a Republican. And I voted for Joe Biden knowing that he does not fall in line with my political views even though he did a great job of campaigning and lying to everybody about being more progressive when it comes to health care when it comes to abolishing student loan debt when it comes to legalizing marijuana when it comes to um, climate change initiatives stuff like that i felt that there was a chance he did something but also part of me was fueled by not wanting a- another republican-led administration so voter apathy is probably the biggest one and you know i don't know how i don't know how the nba would go about marketing all of this how they would go about again educating their voter base i mean they could have resources they should have resources especially if they're doing like a civic engagement night like you should educate your fan base or you know bring in people who know what they're talking about seek out people on the internet who have like have good views about this stuff there is of course the second biggest one and i believe there was a census this was a census question in either 20 either 2012 or 2008 and it was basically like why didn't you vote and the largest response was either scheduling conflict being too busy having to work this that whatever stuff like that um so again in the united states there aren't really any federal laws that govern voting a lot of it is left up to the states so states have different procedures for their polling sites states have different times for their polling sites states have different uh, restrictions around who can vote when what you need to vote if you can vote in person if you could vote um, via mail there is nothing that is like the blueprint that every state has to follow so the scheduling conflict is the biggest one because although it varies state by state a majority of the polling sites close at around seven o'clock some close a little earlier some close around eight and in certain places like new york my home state there are certain polling sites in certain counties that are open until 9 30 which i think is great also sometimes they open early in new york state they open at 6 a.m I don't know why, but I was up at like 6 a.m. to go vote. It was fucking terrible. Never do that again. The line was super long. I waited for like three hours, and then my parents get home from work. They go up to the polling site, and they're literally back in in 10 minutes. I'm like, well, okay, never fucking—I'm never going to vote (laughs) early again. But some states might not open that early. Some states, the polling times vary. So there should be a federally mandated time slot— that every state has to abide by. I hate this bullshit where it's like certain states have to abide by federal regulations but then other times it's going to be no federal regulations at all which I think is fucked up because again, it just builds into the restrictive voting nature or the inherent nature of this country to make elections as strict as possible. This is a huge one that the NBA could try to Um, bring into the forefront because it is widely known it's widely understood it's well documented the ability to vote in the United States although it is something given to every citizen still it remains in the best interest of the establishment government to not really hand out any sweeping reforms in regards to gerrymandering in regards to um, voter ID or you know, not needing an ID to be able to vote. It, you know, it's not in their best interest to make it as easy as possible to vote to make sure that everyone is capable of going out and voting and this is largely because Republican congresspeople, Republican lawmakers know that the only reason they are elected into positions of power is because it's so fucking difficult for people to vote them out and also because their districts are so gerrymandered that they are operating in exclusive Republican circles. Like people don't rep- don't elect Republican lawmakers on their politics because their politics suck. They elect them because there's nobody else to elect. That's the unfortunate reality, especially in the Deep South and um, in, you know, even certain counties in, Blue states. Fortunately, blue states like New York and California are carried by their large population centers in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York City. So they're comfortably blue states. But generally how it is, the more rural a state is, the more Republican their voter base is going to be. But even if we look at it historically, when the country was founded, who were the only people that were allowed to vote? It was white men who owned land. And then, what was the natural progression? It was all white men, even if they didn't own land. Black people weren't able to vote until like the 1800s, I think. Um, I forget what amendment it was, but after the Civil War, they weren't allowed to vote until after the Civil War. Women weren't allowed to vote until 1920, which is only 100 years ago. So, historically, the powers that be do not want people voting. And it's still why we don't have large, sweeping voter reforms. It's still as to why we don't have districts that aren't fucking super gerrymandered. It's why Election Day is not a national holiday. It's why there is no federalized um, blueprint that all of the states have to follow. It's because it's in the best interest of the establishment to keep things this way because this is how they maintain power. And... When we also taking into account the certain socioeconomic conditions of certain people, people who have to work long hours, people who have to work multiple jobs to support their family, to, you know, get their, to get school supplies for their children. They just fucking don't have time. They don't have time to go out and vote on a Tuesday. They wouldn't have time. They don't have time like they would on a Sunday or a Saturday which is what several countries in Europe do. I believe France holds their elections. If I know this correctly, France holds their elections on a Sunday, on the weekend. And they have one. I don't know. I don't know the specifics of their voting. I don't know the specifics of their voting procedure, but it's all done on paper. It's, it all makes sure that people are capable of voting. And, of course, there are multiple parties that people can vote for. There are got to be like six or seven, maybe even more in France. I know Germany has like a shitload of political parties. I think they have like a dozen. And this encourages voter turnout because if you're a communist or a fucking fascist, You can go out and vote, despite being on two sides of the political spectrum, literally the two opposite ends of the political spectrum, you can go out and vote for the candidate that best follows your ideals. Granted, neither of those types of ideologies garner significant followings, but you don't feel alienated. You do feel like, oh, hey, this person is just like me, even if you're a fucking freak neo-nazi or if you're like an annoying anarchist on the internet you find someone who you can connect with and build a community with regardless of how disastrous the ideology of that community is that doesn't exist here so it's a combination of things it's a combination of things that lead to lackluster voter turnout it's a combination of things that lead people to feel political apathy to feel that the system is working against them because do not get it twisted guys the system is working against you if you, even if you are a straight white man in certain parts of the system it does work against you if you're poor if you are if you're a straight white man who's poor the system is working against you and the electoral system and also even like the electoral college these are all set up intentionally like there's a reason that these systems have not been seriously overhauled since their inception. It's because they work for the people in power and they don't work for the people. That is a fundamental difference. And if there were to be a significant overhaul in the various systems that the United States operates under, I truly believe that we would see increased voter, voter turnout. Like 70% easy, 75% easy. Um 80 I I don't think anything more than that. Because, again, we're a massive country. A country like Belgium that has serious voter turnout is significantly significantly smaller. It's got a smaller population base. It's got a more well-connected population base as well. That's also another thing. For some people, it's increasingly difficult to get to a polling site. Okay? If you have to take the bus to get to a polling site. Like, public transit in the United States just fucking sucks. Straight up. Unless you live in New York City, you're... Public transportation system is dog shit. Like just getting to the polling site is another hassle. It's on top of having to create time. On top of like not wanting to to take off work because you'll miss a day's pay, a day's pay that you desperately need, and also all of the inner workings of our political system all lead to this just all all lead to this disenfranchised, not politically engaged voter base and tying this back to the nba the nba is in a position of prominence because they are a leading force on social media and they could harness the power of social media to talk about the importance of voting but also help analyze the structures that make voting so difficult like i'm not saying go totally theoretical with it like don't dive into like super in depth pol- political theory, but you can't just do things. You know what I mean? Like, it's a good, it's a nice gesture what the NBA is doing, but there is more that they can do. And it also helps that they understand their limitations. Like, them doing this is effectively meaningless, but it is a meaningful thing that they can do, regardless of how meaningless. It is, or how meaningless it may seem. Okay, so I think with that, we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about some fun things. We're we'll talk about some fun things, namely the NBA's Christmas Day matchups. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Christmas Day is the biggest day for the NBA, with without a doubt. That is the time. I forgot who said it, but Christmas Day is. Like, the actual start of the NBA season. It's when people really start beginning to tune in to the playoff races, to the awards races. Like, the football season is already in full swing, so people are caught up to speed on that. And then in the NBA, you have two months out of the way, teams are beginning to settle into their rifle positions in the conference standings you know, guys are fully in their rhythm. Steph's dropping 50. Russell Westbrook's putting up triple doubles. Uh, You have some breakout stories by this time, whether it's a rookie playing well above their expected level, or maybe it's a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves coming alive, or the Cleveland Cavaliers coming alive. That is the beginning of the NBA season, and it is categorized, and it is Made notable by its Christmas Day matchups, which generally feature the ten best teams in the league, and if not the best, certainly the most entertaining. Tons of star power every Christmas Day, especially for the two, especially for the two o'clock game, the five thirty game, and the primetime game at eight o'clock. The primetime game is when you see like LeBron Steph or like LeBron Durant. Those kinds of matchups. So this article is courtesy of CBS Sports. The 2022-23 NBA schedule is expected to be released in the coming days, but there's already been several leaks of important games on the league's calendar. It's already been reported the reigning champs, Golden State Warriors, are expected to host LeBron and the Lakers on opening night. Skim through all this bullshit. In addition to one of the opening night games... What? In addition to one of the opening night games on the league's calendar... All five Christmas Day matchups have also been reported. As one of the most important days on the NBA's calendar, these games are typically star-studded and sometimes feature rematches from previous year's playoffs or pit two of the league's top stars against each other. Though the regular season will already be two months old by the time Christmas rolls around, the full slate of games also serves as the unofficial start for the NBA season for some casual fans. I just got done mentioning that. Although nothing has been made official yet, here are the five games expected to take place on Christmas. We have the Warriors-Memphis, which is a rematch of the Western Conference Finals. We have Mavericks-Lakers, Denver-Phoenix, at sixers and Celtics-Bucks, which is a rematch of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. These, I don't hate these matchups, but the first thing that jumps out is the New York Knicks having a Christmas Day game when they don't deserve it. Straight up. The Knicks do not deserve to play on Christmas Day. If they are going to play on Christmas Day, they're going to do what always gets done to them. They're going to have the noon slot because no one fucking watches that game. Everyone's getting ready for Christmas Day, whether they're cooking, whether they're opening presents, whether they're traveling to their destination. The midnight game or the noon game and the 1030 games are the two least watched games, at least on the East Coast. I mean, the 1030 game is probably has decent viewership on the west coast but i don't live on the west coast i'm fucking stuck in the worst time zone of all time here in new york so i don't know why i don't know why the knicks have i don't know why the knicks have a christmas day game especially because the nba loves drama would you not want to put the nets and the sixers uh, as a matchup james harden going up against the nets ben simmons Going up against the Sixers, I understand why the league did not reportedly put the Nets on the schedule, because there is a lot of volatility with that situation. You don't want to schedule them on Christmas and build their big three, and then God forbid, like something happens and Kevin Durant gets traded or Kyrie gets traded or something. I'm not too worried about injuries, um, like ruining the experience because injuries happen and it fucking sucks but you can't like you can't live in fear of players being injured because then you would have no you would have no noteworthy games because you would just be worried about all your stars getting hurt but when it comes to all the rumors that's where the instability that's where the volatility comes in although I do think that they, that the Nets deserve to be on Christmas Day if the roster stays how it is I don't know why the Knicks are going to be on there. Um, To be quite honest with you, it doesn't make any sense to me. The one game that I am super excited to see is Warrior Warriors-Grizzlies easily could be the most entertaining game on this docket up there with Boston and Milwaukee. And, of course, it's a rematch of the Western Conference semis. I'm sorry, I said the Western Conference finals earlier. I don't know why I said that. Um, The Western Conference semifinals... And that series was wildly entertaining, even with John Morant being hurt. So now he's healthy. The whole team is healthy. The Warriors are, of course, healthy. They're back to beaten ass. And then you get them. That's probably going to be the primetime game, if I had to guess. That'll probably be primetime. I don't think that Lakers-Mavericks... I mean, Lakers-Mavericks could also be primetime because you have LeBron and Luka. Like, that is a star-studded matchup as well, um, of course. Dallas does not have Jalen Brunson. Um, we don't know what the whole Russell Westbrook situation is going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen with Anthony Davis. But still, it's you can't have Christmas Day in the NBA and not feature LeBron James. Even if, even if he were to be on a shitty team, if he's putting up numbers, he's going to be on Christmas Day. Nuggets-Phoenix is a fascinating matchup because it's kind of unexpected I'm just taking a look at um last year's standings because going off of last year you know obviously Denver kind of underperformed but also consider the fact that this team is going to be significantly different this team's going to be much improved next year as well um Of course, notably bringing Jamal Murray back, bringing back Michael Porter Jr. So that automatically rockets them back up to being in the upper echelon of the Western Conference. But notably, the LA Clippers aren't there, which I think is a little odd, especially, again, considering that that's another team that's going to be healthy for next season. Kawhi's back. Paul George is there. Uh, They just acquired John Wall. They still have Reggie Jackson, as I'm using my little chichi right here. Like, that's a good team. That's a good team this year. The The Clippers are going to be a good team. I mean, I, if to me, I understand why you put Phoenix on the Christmas Day schedule. They were the best team in the league last year. Devin Booker's awesome. I love watching Devin Booker. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Chris Paul is still putting up numbers. I don't know if I would put them on there. I think I would just, you know, be a sucker for the drama because that's what I am. I'm a drama-loving little bitch. Have Denver, Dallas, and then Clippers, Lakers. And just looking at this from, like, a strict marketing perspective, like, okay, obviously, Warriors-Memphis, that is very clear. rematch from last year's playoffs. You could even do Warriors-Dallas, another matchup of last year's playoffs. Boston-Milwaukee, I think that's going to be a fantastic game. I mean, an obvious no-brainer. You have Jason Tatum and and Giannis, two future MVP candidates, two future MVP winners. Well, I mean, Giannis is already an MVP winner, but you know what I mean. Two of the best players in the Eastern Conference, two of the best players in the NBA, honestly. So that one makes sense. Clippers-Lakers, the... the... Crosstown rivalry, it just, it feels weird. It feels weird not seeing that on the schedule. Of course, nothing is set in stone, and I know that the Clippers had their issues last year, but Kawhi's going to be healthy. Paul George is going to be healthy. They retooled. Why would Would you not want to watch Lakers-Clippers on Christmas Day? I would. And then Denver and Dallas— Denver and Dallas is a matchup that I would want to see because Luka and Jokic. You get a little international flair thrown in there. Okay, the NBA is a global sport. They have players from all well not all, they have players from six continents. I be-
1: No, I think I'm lying. I think okay.
0: They have active players From five continents, I'm pretty sure, because they have North America, Europe, Africa, Asia, um, and Australia. I don't think there's anyone from South America, although of course we know guys. Monogino, oh no, uh, Facundo Campazzo, um, from Argent, from Argentina. So they have players from every continent. Obviously not Antarctica, because the Penguins not going to fucking be able to play in the NBA and from like 40 different countries. I think it's a truly global sport. And Jokic and Luka are two of the most prominent players in the league. And they're both from Eastern Europe. A part of the a part of the globe that, you know, does have a rich basketball history. So you want to spotlight that. You want to spotlight both the international and both the homegrown talent. So that I think is a good storyline. And then of course I would swap the Knicks and replace them with Brooklyn. I would concede, give Brooklyn the early time slot just in case crazy shit happens. But just from like the narrative. And if you send, you you either send Ben Simmons to Philly or James Harden to New York, the reception is going to be just insane. Although for the safety of the players, it would be better to have Philly visit Brooklyn as opposed to Ben Simmons visiting Philadelphia because he might get like a battery thrown at him or something and of course the NBA doesn't want that but that would be that would be my list I would keep Golden State and Memphis because as I already mentioned rematch of the playoffs do Lakers Clippers Crosstown Rivalry do Mavericks Nuggets Spotlight two of the more prominent international players do Boston and Milwaukee another playoff rematch and then also Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I think that would be a solid Christmas day lineup. Um, And again, of course, none of this is set in stone. This could all change. Although I know for a fact that golden state, Boston and Milwaukee are all going to be locks. I think actually, I, I, I think Memphis is a lock as well. I think Memphis and golden state is a lock. I think Boston and Milwaukee is a lock as well. The other three games that I just mentioned are all subject to change. Um, I, I want to just see if they have yeah I mean the rest of this article is really just like an analysis of everything and I don't again I don't hate any of these matchups except for Knicks Philly and I hate it I hate it because I'm a hater to be honest I just I don't think the Knicks deserve a Christmas Day game like the Knicks get by a lot from just being based in New York City and they get it both good and bad okay they get a lot of preferential treatment because they are in the biggest media market in North America which is great for them and of course what's bad for them is being in the biggest media market is that they do get they do deal with a large portion of unfounded criticism the Knicks are easy to talk about, they're easy to shit on, particularly when they're bad, but when it's extra, but what makes it worse is when people seek out ways to be shitty towards them when they're good. I don't like that as, you know, a commentator, as a basketball fan either. Like, I hate when motherfuckers just like just hate for the sake of hating. Like, if you're why are you hating? If you're a basketball fan, like if you're a basketball fan you want in theory you would want every team to be good so why are you going out of your way to just like poke fun at a team when they don't deserve it and especially the Knicks teams of late because everyone knows they're trying to rebuild they're not like shooting for the stars it's not like a couple years ago where they were trotting out Shane Larkin and Andrea Bargnani and you know still acting as if they were a serious contender to make The conference finals like no a lot of Knicks fans recognize that at this time the team is not caught out to do anything meaningful and by anything meaningful I mean have a deep playoff run but that doesn't mean that like you can't have fun watching them because they're a fun team they got fun pieces and I understand Jalen Brunson it's just that's not big enough of a draw for me to put them on Christmas Day that's just one of the instances of them getting preferential treatment granted it's it's not a lot but still They're in the Christmas Day report because they are the New York Knicks. Because they are a storied franchise. I get it. I don't like it. But, like, I'm also... Again, if you guys know me, you know that I'm not just out there hating on the Knicks for no reason. I hate when it's found. I hate on them when it's, you know, legitimate criticism. But I don't feel the need to just, like, throw shit at them. Especially when, you know, the Brooklyn Nets aren't exactly the most functional organization in the league. So, anyway... We're going to move on to a little game. We're going to play a little game here, folks. So if you keep up with basketball media personalities, we all know about Charles Barkley, the Chuckster, the round mound of rebound, the, <laughs> the guy whose most famous quote is talking about how all of the women in San Antonio are fat and ugly. That is still to this day, his probably his most well-known moment. So, the inside the TNT crew, every, you know, every week or so, they have a game called Who He Play For. And they use this to test Charles Barkley's knowledge of the sport that he's covering. Now, I do feel they do him a little dirty because they will literally pull, like, the 413th player in the league a dude who played one minute in one game before going back to Barcelona and they're like, who's he play for? And obviously it's like, no, dude. Like, no one's going to know who the fuck he plays for. But then they'll also be like, okay, who does Otto Porter play for? And that's one you should know. Especially because he plays for the fucking Warriors. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel it's an indictment on somebody who covers the NBA if they don't know every player on every team because the realistic what the realism about covering the NBA is that there are only a few teams that we focus on there are only a few players that we focus on and if you are going to go out as a video creator or as blogger whatever if you're going to seek out a lesser known player and maybe write a story on the alert on the Orlando Magic you are going to have to do a fair bit of research because it's not a team that is always front and center. I mean there are going to be a little bit more front and uh, front and center because they got Paolo Banquero, but otherwise no one's thinking of the Orlando Magic, okay? N- no one. No one's thinking of the Sacramento Kings. I mean well, I mean we do think about the Kings because they fucking suck. But like You don't have to know every player on every team to give good commentary because you can always just like study up beforehand because admittedly, like I'm not the fucking smartest guy. I can't. I mean, I could name one player on every team if you gave me like a piece of paper, but I'm not one of those guys who's got like photographic memory. But I still feel that I can deliver good commentary because I keep up with all of the goings-on around the league now we're gonna put my fucking ego to the test here and i already know that i'm gonna maybe answer one of these correctly so sporting news did their own version of this test how close you paid attention to nba offseason trades free agency with additions and departures are you smarter than charles barkley with the exception of a few potential blockbusters in limbo, most of the NBA offseason player movement is over, and it's been it's been over since, like, July, okay? It's been over since Independence Day. Between June 30th, or whenever the free agency begins, up until July 4th, that is when the majority of the big-name players get moved. I mean, I saw, like, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein moved somewhere recently, but, like, At this point, it's players being called up from the G League. It's players coming in from overseas. There really aren't any sizable names being moved at this point. The final tally, 90 players have changed teams via free agency or trade per Keith Smith of Spochak. Were you able to keep up with every transaction? I sure as shit definitely was not. Rather than making fun of Sir Charles for his lack of basketball research, put your NBA knowledge to the test with the Sporting News' version of who he played for. Quiz, um, okay, first one. Who does Christian Wood play for? The Bucks, the Mavs, the Rockets, or the Heat? Now, this is one of those where it's like, okay, you should know where Christian Wood plays.
1: You, you should know. I don't.
0: I mean, I think I do, but I'm already proving that I'm not, I'm not smarter than than Sir Charles,
1: but it is the Dallas Mavericks. It's the Dallas Mavericks,
0: and I remember that because when the move happened, I believe it was a trade. I think it was a trade. I'm fairly certain it was a trade. But when it happened, I was like, "Oh, I love this move for Dallas. They get a front court scoring option to replace Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, Christian Wood." Is a former All Star, if I remember correctly, a dude who gives you like nineteen and ten every night. Granted, his defense is suspect, but he's still a, he's still a good player. Okay, next up, Dante Divincenzo. I remember this one. At least I hope I remember this one. So the answers are the Spurs, Celtics, Warriors, and Kings. The answer is the Sacramento Kings. Wrong. It's the Warriors. I could have sworn that he went to the Kings because I was like. Why the fuck did he go to Sacramento? But very clearly, I was wrong. I must have missed out on this one. Okay, who does John Wall play for? This one is a gimme. Because I had a whole segment on this show talking about where John Wall went. He went to the LA Clippers. Fantastic move. I talked about it shortly after it happened. I think it's a great move for everybody involved. And that's a layup. Who does Otto Porter Jr. play for? This one,
1: I don't remember. I'm going to keep it a buck. I have
0: no recollection. Okay. Um, taking a shot in the dark here. The answers are the Bulls, the Pelicans, the Raptors, and the Hornets. Uh, I'm going to say Chicago. Wrong. It was the Toronto Raptors. I don't recall this happening. I'm actually Let's go to fuck it. Fuck it. We ball. When did this move happen? So he he signed a multi-year contract with the with the Raptors on July 6th. So that is 6 weeks ago. I'm not trying to, you know, give excuses here. There's no fucking way I'm remembering shit from six weeks ago, let alone where the fuck Otto Porter signed six weeks ago. But whatever, I'll take the L. Um, Two for four, if I recall correctly. I got Christian Wood. Yeah, two for four. So I'm shooting 50%. I'm Shaq from the free throw line right now. Who does Kevin Herter play for? That's easy. Sacramento Kings. He got dealt to the Kings, and my first thought was, I f- RIP this man. I feel I feel so sorry for Kevin Herder, there is—he's a redhead. He's already a dying breed. There's no reason for the Atlanta Hawks to put him on the career-ending speed run and sending him to Sacramento. Just a horrible. Who does Ish Smith play for now? Uh that's Denver. It is Denver. It is Denver. Cause I remember he already played with uh, Detroit. By the way, the answers for this one were Detroit, OKC, New Orleans, and Denver. Uh, he already played for Detroit. And this dude, who's done more traveling than, like, literally any nomad in the history of the world, I think he would finally, just like my theory is that he would finally want to go to a team that was an ass, that didn't fucking suck. So, I mean, I guessed pretty confidently on that one. So I'm up 4-6, to and this is the last one. And it's asking me, who does Robin Lopez play for? Is it the Cavs? Is it the Magic? Is it the Clippers? Or is it the Pistons? It would have been sick if they shoehorned the Milwaukee Bucks in there just to be like, oh, maybe he did want to go play with his brother. And now I'm just double-checking that Brooke still plays for Milwaukee because I'm very... Because I'm very self-conscious about not knowing where anybody plays. Okay, good. We're, we're, we're good. I'm going to be honest, guys. I think I faintly
1: remember. I want to say Cleveland. I want to say Cleveland because they
0: added another big man as if they don't have enough. And I just feel like for some reason... I was making jokes about voluntarily going to Cleveland. So I'm going to go with Cleveland. And I was right. Scored five out of seven. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, I might not be the towering intellectual that I thought I was. Um, I really thought that Kevin Herter went to Sacramento. Or no, that Dante DiVincenzo. But maybe, maybe I confused him and Kevin Herter. Maybe I thought both of them went to Sacramento. Um and then Otto Porter, I'm gonna keep it a buck, man. I just totally I just totally forgot about that one. I had just I, I forgore. He forgore. Like I, I don't know what happened. I have no excuse for that one. But with that, we're gonna wrap it up. I thought today was gonna be a short one, but folks, we actually broke 60 minutes. Wow. I granted because I spent like twenty five of them talking about the the fucked up nature of our election cycle but so it goes sometimes as always thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me today everything that i'm associated with is down in the description box below twitter instagram um tiktok subscribe to the youtube channel follow me on twitch i go live every so often on there also if you're listening to this on an audio platform go ahead leave a like leave a rating leave a review also tell a friend about it if you enjoyed this episode also tell a friend about it if you didn't enjoy this episode all press is good press and with that i'll catch y'all in the next one.